Amen. Well, thank you so much, guys. Bree, they all left without you. <laughs> Would you guys turn with me to Judges 6 tonight? I've decided to, uh, usually on Wednesday nights, it's very low-key service for those of you that maybe are joining us for the first time. Our Wednesday night services are generally low-key, Bible study, time of worship, getting into the Lord's presence, and then just studying the Word uh, for a bit. I try not to keep you long on Wednesday nights because I know Wednesdays are long days, uh, but the last few Wednesdays, I have not kept my promise. So we've, we've, we've gone long the last few Wednesdays, but God has been doing a work, and, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, we're going to continue that work, I believe, in a new series uh, that we're jumping into starting tonight for our Wednesday night Bible studies for the month of June. But this is a continuation of where we've been. So we've been talking about life habits for a little while now. And uh, life habits and, and things that control us, things that we deal with, things that we need to break off of our life. Uh, we talked about generational curses. We, we talked about all the things that need to go, right? And we've kind of dealt with that over the last several weeks, last few weeks, the last month. Uh, and now, how many of you know that once you uh, uh, get rid of something, you've got to build something new? Right, so we're, so we're moving into a new teaching series throughout June called The Building. And uh, it's not the building, the noun, as in we are sitting in a building, but it's the building, the verb. Right, it's, it's an action word. It's, it's what God does in our life. It's the building process, right? So we're digging into the building for the next, uh, over, for the next probably four weeks, uh, maybe a little longer. And tonight's, uh, tonight's part one is called Collaboration collaboration. So in any building process, there, there oftentimes needs to be a collaboration. So uh, dealing with the last few weeks, talking about strongholds and habits and generational curses, uh, there's a process that we see in scripture and in our own lives, which is a cycle of building and rebuilding. Amen. Uh, we've been in a in a process here in this church of of rebuilding and remodeling, right? It's it's a it's a cycle or process that we have in our life. If any of you have lived in your homes for for a long period of time, there comes a time when you've got to do some remodeling, uh, you've got to do some restructuring, right? Because uh, they did well. Let's just face it: if you have kids and dogs, they tear up your house. <laughs> you know, and at, at some point, uh, where Jess and I are in a stage of life where we're now empty nesters. We're rebuilding and repairing everything that the kids destroyed over the years, right? So we're, we're kind of fixing that. We're in that process. So as I was in that, in that mode in my mind, I thought about how God does that in our own lives, right? There's a cycle of building and rebuilding in our lives that God does. And sometimes, how many of you know, it's a demolition and a rebuilding. Uh, sometimes God has to completely demolish something that's in your life in order to start fresh and rebuild something that's much better, right? Something that, that, uh, that is way better than what it was. Uh, how many of you know in downtown Inverness, uh, how many of you know that old Regions Bank that's in downtown Inverness? It, uh, you would probably know it, some of us know it, you would probably know it as that big gigantic building sits right next to Sonny's Barbecue, right? So, so there was a time when that bank was a beautiful structure and you drove by and you passed it. The architecture was gorgeous. And there was probably uh, 50 to 100 employees that worked in that building. And there were so many offices and things going on. And, uh, but that was a, was a different era. And now that building looks horrible. Right? Now when you drive by, that building is rough. Right? Weeds have overtaken it and vines have overtaken it. It needs some paint. Like it, it needs something, right? Like you can't hardly see the parking lot anymore because it's just overtaken, right? It's been overgrown and not taken care of. It's in, it's in poor shape. So now that building either needs to be remodeled or it needs to be demolished and rebuilt, right? It, it's something in our life. How many of you know that everything good needs to be built? Everything good in our lives needs a season of being built. Uh, how many of you know if you want a good family, you've got to build it, right? If you want a successful business, if you want to own your own business, you've got to, what do you got to do, Pastor Kenny? 
You've got to build it, right? Uh, if you want a strong marriage, you both in that marriage have to build it, right? It requires action on your behalf. It requires intentionality. Everything that we do that's worth doing requires action and intentionality. It requires us to put in a process. You have to build it. Uh, you, would be, you would be shocked at how many people that we talk to in premarital counseling or marital counseling that say, well, if we don't you know, just get along all the time, then it's probably just not meant to be. Right? And how many of you know that's not a full understanding of what marriage is? Right? That's not a full understanding of relationships in general. It's saying that, you know, that if, if it just doesn't happen naturally, then I guess it's just not meant to be. Well, no, you, you have your flesh, and she has her flesh, and her background, and your background, and those things clash at times. And you've got to have intentionality, and you've got to have action in order to build a good marriage. If you want good relationships in general, uh, you've got to have intentionality and you've got to have action to build those relationships. How many of you in the room have somebody that you consider a great friend in your life? If you have somebody that you consider a great friend in your life, how many of you know it takes, it takes action and it takes intentionality to, to make sure that that friendship stays connected, right? That that friendship continues on. How many of you know if you want a strong relationship with God, what do you have to do? You've got to build it right? It takes action and it takes intentionality to have a strong relationship with God. And if you're not intentional about it, it will start to slip off the tracks, right? If you're not intentional about it, uh, God isn't going anywhere, but we tend to waver and sway uh, uh, away, right? It's like if you're on an interstate and God is that center line, that's straight down the middle of the interstate, if you're not intentional, where's your car go, right? If you, if you let go of the wheel or if you fall asleep, where's your car going to go? It's, it's, it's probably, it's going to go to the right if it's on an interstate, right, because of the slope. So it, it's going to go to the right. It's going to veer away from the center line. So in every relationship or every part of our life, everything that we do requires intentionality and action to keep us on the straight and narrow. Intentionality and action to continue moving. How many of you know uh, Bob the Builder? Right? If you've got kids or grandkids under 10, right, you probably know who Bob the Builder is. Right? Uh, but before there was Bob the Builder, there was Kenny the Builder. Right? <laughs> no, they're actually, that's true. But, but before there was Bob the Builder and Kenny the Builder, there was God the Builder. Right? God, God is a builder. That's, that's what he does. Right? God builds. Uh, 40 years ago, this church building uh, went through a process of becoming a building, right? It started off, uh, Pastor Rushing and Sister Rushing, with a, it started off with an empty field, right? And, and at some point, there had to be a process. There had to be a design in place, and there had to be somebody had to, had to make the plans, right? And somebody had to come together and make sure that those parts of the plans got doled out to different uh, contractors, and people had to do their parts to bring it together to create what we sit in now today, Right? It took a process to create this building and get it in place. And now, 40 years later, we're in a process of rebuilding or remodeling, right? We're in the process of taking out old things and, and putting in new things and just refreshing, right? And sometimes that's what God does in our own lives. God will begin to take old things out and begin to do new things in you, right? In our life. So I said it a second ago, but this is true, that God is a builder. Why don't you look at somebody right next to you and just say, God is a builder. He is. God is a builder. How many of you know in Genesis 1 through 3, God made the heavens and he made the earth, right? God made the trees and he made the plants. God uh, created light by the sun and light by the moon, uh, God filled the earth with animals, insects, and ocean creatures, right? God created man and woman. God built some stuff, right? He is a builder, and, and unlike any other builder, he's the one that can build things from absolutely nothing, right? Every other builder requires materials to build something. God didn't require materials. He made the materials, and then he built it, right? Because that's who God is. God is a creator and a builder. And how many of you know, once he made man, he collaborated with man to do the rest of the work. It's a collaboration process. So we're called by God to build the kingdom, 
So God entrusted that to us, right? And as men and women uh, following Jesus and following God, we're required uh, to, to begin to build the kingdom. And that's where collaboration comes in between us and the Lord, right? We collaborate with him. But how many of you know that it, it's, it's an honor for God to allow us to be a part of that process? It's an honor. When we come into collaboration with the ultimate builder, uh, we get to be subcontractors, as it were, Pastor Kenny, right? We get to be subcontractors for God. God is building a kingdom and he's subcontracting through us to do bits and pieces of the work, right? So I, I think that's pretty incredible. So God is indeed a builder. And then also, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, God is also a demolisher. God's a builder, God's a demolisher. So how many of you have watched Chip and Joanne Gaines? Yeah, a lot of you have, right? So Chip and Joanne Gaines buy houses, uh, they demolish the house, and then they start fresh, right? They go in and Chip always says, you know, his favorite day is demo day, right? He gets to go in with sledgehammers and begin tearing stuff out and tearing out walls and just demolishing blocks and demolishing floors and cabinets and all the old stuff. And he goes in on demo day with his hard hat and his glasses on and his sledgehammer and just goes to town, right? Uh, that's demo day. Uh, God is not just a builder, but he's also a demolisher. Where do we hear that? In our key scripture over the course of the last few weeks. And the key scripture is this, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. So we've been talking about is we've been talking about life habits and, and such and things that need to be torn down in our life. Right here in this scripture is demo day, right? How many of you have been through demo day with God? Right, God's demolished some stuff in your life. Some things that needed to be torn down and, and you said, okay, God, have your way. Uh, and then God came in with his, uh, well, he didn't need a hard hat and glasses and a sledgehammer. You know, he's God. But, but he came in, uh, you know, with that stuff and tore down and had a demo day in your life and began to tear down things that needed to go. Begin to tear down things that were standing that shouldn't have been there. So demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So he demolishes strongholds. He demolishes those arguments that rise up against him. And he demolishes pride that stands in the way of the knowledge of God. So God's a builder. God's also a demolisher. But for the sake of where we're going tonight with this, God also builds and rebuilds people. And, and some of you sitting here tonight, uh, you, you could probably say, if we, if we pass the mic around the room right now, uh, I'm sure there's, there's, there's plenty of us in the room that could take up the rest of our time tonight talking about things in your life that God needs to step in and demolish. Things in your life that cause a hindrance to who you are. Things in the life that hinder you from doing what God has asked you to do. Things in your life that need to go because they, they bring hindrances to, to, to your effectiveness. Uh, both as a, as a friend, as, as, a, as a spouse, as a parent, uh, as, a, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. You know, things in our life that just are hindrances to us being able to move forward. Right? And we need God to demolish some things in our life and rebuild some other things in our life. We need God to do that. So God builds and rebuilds people. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has what? The old has passed away and behold, the new has what? Has come. So, so anyone that is in Christ, God has demolished the old and has began the process of building anew, right? But how many of you know he's also in a collaboration with us in that process? And that process is called sanctification. So as we walk out sanctification with God in our lives, this process of rebuilding something new begins to happen. So why is it uh, after you've been saved and following Christ and you've been listening and being obedient to the Holy Spirit that within uh, uh, not too long after that, your life begins to resemble something else completely, right? Uh, I can look back and I can think about my life uh, pre-demolition day with Christ, 
And I can think about my life pre-new construction phase with Christ. And who I was then is completely different from who I am now. So there was, a, there was a process where some of that old was still hanging in there, right? Some of that old was, was still there. It was like chipping up old tile. You know, it clings in with, with everything within it. And it takes a while sometimes to get that old stuff out. And that process of, of rejuvenation in your life or that process of sanctification in your life. But through collaboration with God, which means that we line ourselves up with him. We're obedient to the work of the Holy Spirit and we give God access to every area of our being. Through that process, God builds something new in us, right? He begins to build something new. So new things happen, old things pass away, new things come. God remodels people. Amen? You guys are awful quiet on me tonight. Is it because I got up here on top of the stage instead of down below tonight? But you guys can still talk to me. I just got up here because we got a lot of people in the balcony tonight. So I want to make sure that they, they have good sight. So, so God remodels people. Amen? Yeah. Say that back to me so you know it, so I know you heard me. He does. How many of you feel like you've been remodeled by God? Yeah. Right? How many of you know that the remodeling process is always pleasant? <laughs> no, it's not. By any stretch of the imagination, it's not always pleasant at all. You know, some, there's a lot of sledgehammering and there's, there's a lot of dust and a lot of dirt. You know, there's a lot of things happening. Uh, Jess and I have been in the process of doing some work on our house with a friend of ours. And and he said, you know, he said, now listen, we're going to do this work. He goes, but there's going to be dust in every crevice of your house. You know, you're going to open drawers and go, how did dust get on my underwear? You know, where did this come from? You know, there's going to be dust in, in every portion. It's not always pleasant to go through the remodeling phase. Sometimes it hurts before it gets better right? But as the Holy Spirit is working on us, if we just stay on the operating table, if we just stay on the table and say, okay, God, let's walk through this. Let's do this. Uh, You continue to do the work in my heart. You continue to, to, to break down and demolish the things that are in me that need to go right now. And it may hurt in the moment, but it gets so much better when you come out the other side. Because the stuff that have held you hostage and the stuff that has kept you captive, uh, God demolishes and brings off your life. And there's nothing like freedom in Christ. There's nothing like freedom in Christ, right? So, So in this thing, God remodels people who have strayed from the original intent of who they are. Okay? God remodels people who have rebelled against his will. So there's, there's many of us in the room that can say, you know, I knew God, but I still rebelled against his will. And there was something that was created in my life that I had to give God access to, to demolish and get back out so that I could get back on track, right? People who have rebelled against his will or because of habits in our life that we've talked about the last several weeks, hurts in our life, sins, generational curses, uh, things found in us like that old bank. It's in desperate need of an experience with a builder or a rebuilder. That old bank downtown is in desperate need of somebody to do something new, right? It's in desperate need of somebody to come along and refresh it. Somebody to come along and maybe tear down parts of it. Somebody to come along and change it, right? It's in desperate need of that. That old bank downtown that we're talking about, that region's bank, it's grotesque in its size, right? And I'm using that word for a reason. Banks aren't that big anymore. Unless you're in downtown New York City or Tampa and you see skyscrapers, you know, with, with, with home bases. Uh, how many of you know banks aren't that large anymore? Right. Things have changed. Technology has changed. They don't need a hundred people working in a building to do what a bank does anymore. Right. Unfortunately, you know, you don't need that many people. So what did regions do? They moved out of that building. They bought a lot right across the street and they built a cafe style bank. How many, does anybody in here bank at that regions? Right. Some of you do. So it's, it's a cafe style bank. It's small. There's not a lot of people there. It's sleek. It takes up less of a footprint. You can get in and out quicker, 
right? Most of the stuff is, is high-tech tech. It's online. It's sleeker. It's a, it's a faster design. So they built this regions right across the street sleeker, but they built it without the weights and the encumbrances of the old building and all its faults. So this old building sits there that needs so much work. It needs so much things to happen to it. It needs so much change. And they built a sleeker thing that doesn't have all the weight, doesn't have all the space, doesn't have all the large footprint. It's a sleeker, smaller design, and, it, and it's right across the street. But that's something that God does in us. Because over time, as we collect hurts and pains and habits and addictions and things, and we get off the, the path that God has for us and we get out of the will of God, we become large spiritually with lots of weights and encumbrances and things that need to happen. And God longs for us to be sleek, to be fast, and to be slim spiritually for him. Right? So there, there's some things I want, I want to talk about it like that. So just like that, we get so oversized spiritually in carrying around our hurts and carrying around our pains, carrying around our generational curses, carrying around our sins, carrying around our rebellion, that we're no longer sleek and useful for the kingdom, but we're slow and we're cumbersome and we're resistant to change. We're resistant to change. So what happens when we have allowed our life to get like that old bank? Stagnant? Too, too large to be useful? Carrying too much junk? Too many rooms that need to be remodeled spiritually within us? And we get like that bank and then God says, hey, I need you to do this for me. We're slow. We're resistant to change. And we're not sleek and fast enough to turn and do what God has asked of us. So a lot of times we're not as beneficial for the kingdom, right? So this, this is a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. Spiritually, we get oversized and we're in need of a remodel. We're in need of some demolishing. We're in need of God to make us sleeker and faster so that when he speaks, we can turn. When he speaks, we can go, right? It's, it's a spiritual thing. So, so just like that, uh, I want you to think for a moment how a ski boat turns versus how a cruise ship turns. Right? How, how many of you have been on a cruise ship? Right? For a cruise ship to turn, it, it, takes, it, it takes a lot. Right? It, it takes a whole lot for a cruise ship to turn. A cruise ship can't turn on a dime. Right? A ski boat, however, uh, I, I used to drive a ski boat with the kids and slingshot them off into the gator-infested lake. <laughs> you know? <laughs> We used to do, Pastor Brad knows he, he was one of those kids at that time. We, we slingshot him off into the, into the lake, off the inner tube, try our best to turn that boat fast enough to get him flipping across the water, you know, and running into the, into the weeds, you know. Uh, but a ski boat can turn on a moment's notice, and a cruise ship requires lots of space, energy, time, and, and foreknowledge in order to turn. It's got to know. And we can get so, encumber, uh, so burdened down in our spirit, we get so burdened down with life, with hurts and pains and all the things that we carry and we refuse to let go of that we can't turn on a dime anymore for God. That when God says, okay, I need you, I need you to minister to that person right then. And you go, man, I'm in no place to minister to that person. I'm carrying hurts and pains and encumbrances and, and I'm heavy spiritually and I can't do what you asked me to do. God, just give me about five hours. Let me go on a five hour fast. Let me go home and, 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 and dig into the word for a minute and get fed. And let me go home and spend some time in prayer, Lord, and get pumped up. And, and then I'll come back and minister to that person. And God says, that's too late. It's too late. You know, God can't wait on us to ditch all the heaviness and all the things that we carry to do work for the kingdom. That's why God is asking us to be sleek, uh, to be tuned down, to be fast, so that in a moment's notice when he speaks to you and says, I need you to do this, then you can turn on a dime and you can get it done, right? It's, 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 it's carrying so much baggage. Cruise ships carry a lot of baggage, right? I, if you've ever been on a cruise ship, you see some people coming up those gangplanks, man. And sodas cost a fortune on a cruise. So, so people are carrying like a whole suitcases full of 12 packs of sodas. You know, you'll see one little, one little lady my wife's size carrying like eight suitcases. You know, the gangplanks full of sodas. <laughs> you know, but, but this is a, yeah, cruise ships carry so much baggage. 
Cruise ships carry so much of that stuff. And if we're not careful, we become a cruise ship spiritually. And we start to carry so much baggage uh, that we, we carry so much baggage spiritually and so many of the wrong passengers in our life. All of a sudden, we have all these attachments. We have all these wrong people attached to us. We have all this baggage that we're carrying. And we get so weighed down that we become heavy and resistant to change. And then when God speaks to you and says, I need you to do something, we don't have enough time to make that turn. We don't have enough time to do it. So if you've turned to Judges 6 already, let's, let's go there. We're going to dig into Gideon for just a moment this evening. If you're in Judges 6, go ahead and say amen. If you need a moment, just say hold on. All right, we're going to start reading in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. This, this is one of my favorite stories in the scripture. And I think it's because I relate to Gideon so much. I relate to Gideon a lot. You know, in, in this case, uh, Gideon was hiding and threshing wheat in a wine press so that people didn't know that he had any food, so that nobody stole his lunch money. And an angel shows up and says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. How I many you know the Lord will speak things that aren't as so though they are in a moment, right? The Lord will, will call you what's inside of you, even if it's not anywhere apparent on the outside in the moment. The Lord will call you sleek as a Camaro when you're as big as a cruise ship, spiritually. Right? The Lord will speak to, your, to who, what's inside of you and what's available. So in this moment, Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Have you ever read this story and thought, you know, the first thing Gideon says to the angel of the Lord is negative. An angel of the Lord, which most people agree and believe that this was pre-incarnate Jesus, is speaking to Gideon, calls him a mighty man of valor, and the first words out of Gideon's mouth was negativity. I wonder how many of us see ourselves in Gideon in this moment. And when God is speaking to you and God is telling you, this is what I need you to do. And this is who you are. And this is what I've called you to do. This is what's inside of you. And the first thing that comes out of your mouth is negativity. You know, I wonder how many of us can, can relate to Gideon in that moment. And he says, and where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. Understand the, the hilariousness of this. He's hiding. He's not a fighter. He's scared to death. He's negative. And the Lord keeps talking positive things over him. Go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he just said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So three things Gideon does in this, in this portion of scripture that indicates that Gideon uh, has gotten spiritually large like a cruise ship and is carrying way too much baggage. So Gideon in this moment, uh, an indicator that he is a cruise ship carrying too much baggage. The first indication of that is Gideon uses the word if in conjunction with the promises of God. He uses the word if. I want to break that down for just a moment. Uh, can I tell you guys tonight that the wrong way to start a sentence is if God is with us. If you're a Christ follower, 
the wrong way to start a sentence, especially if Jesus appears before you, is, hmm, if God is with us, I'm right here, Gideon. If God is with us. So I want to say the converse of that is true. The right way to start a sentence is, but God is with us. See, Gideon's in a tough situation. He's in a tough moment. No, no doubt about it. Gideon is struggling, right? They've been beaten down and they've, they've had years of getting beaten down. They've been through some stuff. Some of us in this room has have, have had a bad year. The Midianites, uh, you know, the Israel has had a bad few hundred years. You know, I mean, this is a, this is a generational thing that is, that has bred doubt and bred all of these issues in their lives, right? It's, this is a, this is a generational thing in this moment. But Gideon, uh, is, is not spiritually in tune with who God is because in the moment he's speaking to incarnate Jesus Christ and he says, if God is with us. When the proper way for you and I, if we're struggling and dealing with things in our life, is although I am going through this, but God is still with me. Amen. Although I'm dealing with this situation, but God is still with me. I'm dealing with this medical report, but God is still with me. Right? Followers of, of Christ know that regardless of our circumstances doesn't change the fact that God is still at work in our midst. It doesn't change the fact that God is still with us. So, so listen, this is the funny thing. It is, it, it's not grammatically correct in English to start a sentence with the word but. Is, is it, professor? It's, it's, not, it's not grammatically correct in English to start a, start a sentence with the word but. And I probably got some F's in English in high school from, for doing that, right? Maybe some of us did. Uh, it's not grammatically correct in English, but can I tell you today that's spiritually correct in any language. So it's not grammatically correct, but it's spiritually correct. But God is with me. No matter what, I'm, I'm struggling in this area, but God is with me. I'm, I'm having issues in my family, but God is with me. I'm having issues in my marriage, but God is with me. I'm fighting this addiction, but God is with me. I'm dealing with things financially, but God is with me, right? It's, it's, it's in this moment that, that God is with us. So he starts off with this if, and using if in conjunction with the promises of God. The second thing, the reason we know that, that Gideon has too much baggage spiritually in this moment is he bridges from, uh, or between if God to show me a sign. He bridges from if God, show me a sign. Right? It, it, God, if God, if you're really calling me to do this, then show me a sign. Right? It, it shows a lack of faith on Gideon's behalf and a timidity in the spirit on Gideon's behalf in this moment. So I want to see, want God to constantly prove himself to Gideon. God, you're going to have to constantly prove yourself to me. Throughout this story, there's plenty of times where Gideon has asked for a sign from God. I want you to constantly prove yourself to me, Lord, so that I know that I can continue down this path. Right? So it's a timidity in the spirit. And I understand the fleeces and how they work in this scripture. And I have preached this message from other angles. And I understand that. And there have been seasons and times in my life when I've thrown out fleeces before God. But there's a timidity in the spirit that causes you to need a sign instead of just responding when God speaks. And the timidity in the spirit comes from not understanding or knowing that it is indeed God's voice that's telling you what to do. So if you're not recognizing God's voice, you're not in tune uh, with him spiritually. And if you're constantly looking for a sign, you're out of whack somewhere spiritually. Now, we know Gideon was out of whack spiritually. How do we know that? Because Jesus shows up and he says, if God is with us. That's the first part of the story. He's out of whack spiritually, right? So he, he transitions into show me a sign. Show me a sign, God. Show me a sign. Every time we use language as Christians asking God to prove himself to us, do you guys realize that we go back to the language of Gideon? Every time. And I've done it too. We tell somebody the story, oh man, and, and I threw out this fleece before God. And we say it like it's this gigantic spiritual moment. When in essence, it's a fault on our part. 
Because we're not fast enough to just react with what God is speaking to us. So we have to throw out a fleece so that we have enough time to wrap our life, our, 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 our self around the fact that we're going to have to be moving and doing what God has called us to do. I'm going to need a fleece, Lord. Okay, thank you, Lord. Thank you for answering that fleece. Now I'm going to ask you to do just the opposite, just in case it's not you. I'm going to cast this fleece out. Has anybody ever realized how funny that is? I'm going to cast this fleece out on the ground, Lord. And, and once you make the, the ground all around it wet, but the fleece dry, and I'll know you're talking to me, God. I mean, you know, Gideon is buying time. Right? Gideon does not want to do what God has called him to do, and he's buying time in this moment. If that's you, Lord. And then the next morning, he's like, he's buying another day. Okay, Lord, well, listen, if this was really you, then make the fleece wet and the ground dry. You know, if this is really you, give me another, another sign, right? He's buying time because he's not uh, quick enough spiritually to move into what God has called him to do. And listen, this is not a Judge, a judge Gideon night. This is a recognize that putting out a fleece as a Christian is not a, a gigantic spiritual feat that we can brag about, but it's really uh, just a moment of doubt in our life. It's a moment of understanding that we're not uh, in, in tune with what God is speaking. Uh, I, I, there's been seasons in my life where I, man, I, I needed those fleeces. There, there was a time in my life when I was called into ministry and I put out a fleece. I knew God called me into ministry, but I was scared to do it. And I put out a fleece because I, I wanted to buy time and I wanted to just make sure I want to just make sure that it was God really calling me into ministry, right? And those moments, it wasn't a gigantic, you know, I wasn't a spiritual giant in that moment. I was, I was spiritually weak. So I was looking for God to continue to show me signs so that I could uh, reconcile that with his voice that I heard and make sure that I knew that it was him, right? So we've got to do that. So, so in this moment, he bridges between if God to show me a sign. And then the next portion of this portion of scripture where we see that uh, Gideon is carrying way too much baggage spiritually is he says, God says you have all the might you need for this job. God says, go in this might of yours because you already have everything that you need to do what I've called you to do. See, Gideon doesn't fully understand what God is about to do. All Gideon knows is that, uh, that God is asking him to lead the charge and lead the army to free Israel from the Midianites. Gideon's imagining all these things that God is requiring from him. All these gigantic acts of bravery that God is requiring. He's imagining all of this stuff. And little does he know that God is going to do all the work and all he's got to do is be there. Gideon basically got to watch the, the, the battle like he was in an IMAX theater. He didn't have to wade into the battle. He got to watch God win the battle on his behalf, but he didn't know that in the moment. So rather than just trust God that, yes, God is correct, that you have everything that you need to do what I've called you to do, he's questioning it. So, so he says, God says, go in this might of yours because you have everything that you need to do. And Gideon says, no, I don't. He's arguing with God. Man, who are we to argue with God? I, listen, I'm talking to all of us. Who, who are we to argue with God when he speaks to us? When he tells us to do something? Who are we to stand there in God's face and say, No, I think you're wrong on this one, Lord. How many of you know it's an oxymoron to say, No, Lord. It's an oxymoron. Those two don't go together. If he's truly Lord, it's he's Lord. Yes. You know, it's an oxymoron to say no. And, and Gideon is saying, no, I don't. And then this angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate Jesus, shows up in your house, speaks to you by name, John Terry. You mighty man of valor. Go to Africa. <laughs> Take your kids. Live in a village in the Congo. Lead those people to Jesus. And you have everything within you. I've already placed there to do that work. I don't know why the angel sounds like Morgan Freeman, but he does. 
<laughs> and it, 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 you know, that's a gigantic example, right? But they're small examples. Jessica. Jessica. <laughs> Jessica Miller. You mighty woman of God. Go apologize to that woman. Let me rephrase that. Go apologize to your husband. <laughs> Notice I'm stepping back. But God speaks to us and says something uh, huge or says something small. And in the moment when he asks us to do something, he's saying, man, you have everything within you in this moment to do what I've asked you to do. I wouldn't have asked you to do it otherwise. But you have everything within you to be obedient to God in the moment. But many times we're carrying so much baggage, so much hurt, so much pain, so many sins, so much uh, inconvenience, so, so much stuff that we've gotten uh, so, uh, so full of baggage that God says, hey, listen, I need you to do this. And you're going, but sorry, Lord, I don't have a free hand. Listen, I need you to pull this person up because this person's sinking into the mud right now and they need help. Sorry, Lord, I don't have a free hand. Listen, I need you to give $20 to this person because they don't have gas money to get home tonight and they've spent everything they have trying to fix something. And, and you're like, sorry, Lord, I don't have a free hand. I have so much baggage, Lord, that I just can't do what you asked me to do. Hey, listen, I need you to forgive and I need you to move on and I need you to stand up and be, and be who I've called you to be for the kingdom and not be stuck anymore. Yeah. Sorry, Lord, I don't have a free hand. I've just, I've got my own stuff I got to deal with, God. Right? And, and in this moment, we can get so, <sighs> I keep saying it, but I feel like it in my spirit. Like there's so many Christians today in ministry, out of ministry, but there's so many Christians today that are so busy dealing with old stuff that we're not doing anything new for God. And I, I encourage all of us, me included, to allow God to begin to destroy and tear down those things that are in us that hinder us from being able to be obedient in the moment to what he calls us to do. Let's get sleek. Let's get fast. Let's begin to thin down spiritually. Let's begin to, to drop the baggage. You know, Jess and I uh, go away on marriage retreat weekends. And we, we, it's kind of a, we haven't really talked about it, but we both acknowledge that we carry too much baggage for a weekend, right? We pack too much junk. Like, I need three days worth of outfits and I pack 10. Why do I do that? Because I might feel like wearing something different on that day. But really, all it is is an encumbrance, right? We, we just did a marriage restored weekend and our, our car was so packed to the hilt that before we could pick up our teammates at the airport, we had to go to the hotel and drop off stuff so we could fit them in the car. You know what I mean? And some of that is work-related stuff for the weekend, but some of it's just our baggage. But we've, uh, this weekend, we slimmed down way a lot, didn't we? Yeah, man, I, instead of 10 outfits, I took like six. You know, I got way better, right? Uh, but we started, we, our goal, there was a couple that came to one of our marriage restored weekends one time, and they flew in from like Colorado. They're there for like three days, and they flew in early, and this was a couple of years ago. And they, they met us in our workroom and said, hey, you know, we're here early. We're gonna go get some food. And I said, okay, no problem. I said, just drop your baggage right in here. And they picked up a half full duffel bag. Like literally, it wasn't even half full, and just threw it in a corner. And I said, well, where's the rest of your bags? And they said, oh, that's all we got. We pack light. And I looked at Jessica and I said, if they can do it, we can do it, right? Like, like, why do we take everything but the kitchen sink when we go somewhere for two days? You know what I mean? But the same thing, it, it, it applies spiritually in our lives. We've got to pack light, which means we need to get rid of the stuff that really doesn't matter anymore. 
We get, get rid of the stuff that really hinders us. So, so we need to, to understand that when God speaks, we need to make that decision in the moment. So, so Gideon's baggage kept him slow and resistant to change. He was heavy spiritually in gravity, and he had high resistance spiritually. But then we come up into Judges 6, uh, verses 25 through 27. It says this, Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in proper arrangement. Take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image, which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. In the very next portion of scripture where we dive into with Gideon, we see uh, the whole theme of tonight's message. Gideon was to tear down or demolish the altar to Baal and build an altar to the Lord. So in this moment, Gideon had to tear down the false gods that created environment within his family and within his life that caused him to be doubtful, worrisome, anxious, untrusting of God, slow and resistant to kingdom work in his life and others, and not believe in the miracle power of God or that he could be used by him. So in this moment, God comes to Gideon, calls him into what he wants him to do. Gideon has so much baggage that he can't just respond yes but he deals with all the negativity and he deals with all this stuff. And then God says, you know what? Before I use you to do what I've called you to do, you've got to demolish the things in your life that make you slow. You've got to demolish the things in your life that make you resistant to what God has called you to do. And this moment he speaks to Gideon and tells him to demolish this stuff. Now Gideon didn't do it by day. He wasn't brave enough to do it when his dad was awake. But he did it. He went out by night. He took some men. He took the bulls. He demolished the idols in his life that needed to go. And he built the altar to the Lord. He sacrificed the bull. And he did what God called him to do. So in this moment, although Gideon was slow, and although Gideon was resistant, although Gideon was negative, he still ended up doing and being obedient to what God had called him to do. So do you, do you know that the next portion of the story, Gideon wasn't so slow and Gideon wasn't so negative. As Gideon continued to be obedient to the Lord, Gideon began to do more and more and faster than what he did before. Because once you begin to see the Lord work out things in your life, when you're first obedient, it gets a lot easier to be obedient the next time around. It's a lot easier, right? So Gideon needed this stuff rooted out because Gideon was getting ready to be the judge of Israel for the next 40 years. And he couldn't walk in his calling of what God had called him to do with all of these altars and all of these things built up in his mind. And in the same way, we as followers of Christ can't accomplish what God has called us to do and walk in our calling and walk in authority and walk in power, and walk in anointing, if we're nursing the altars that keep us resistant to change. Right? So, stand with me tonight, if you would. We're going to continue next week in this building series, talking about how God rebuilds us. You know, we spent several weeks talking about uh, the tearing down of strongholds and all of that stuff. And then we transition tonight with the tearing down, but also the building up. And we're going to continue in the building process next week. But with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, this is what I want to ask you. With nobody looking around, the, the live stream camera is only on me on the stage. If you, if you recognize throughout this message, man, that you've got some stuff that you need to tear down. Man, just lift a hand. Acknowledge it before the Lord. I see those hands everywhere. We're acknowledging it before the Lord tonight. And we're recognizing, God, 
Now let's, let's, let's just pray. Everybody in the room, kind of re- repeat this. If you, if you feel confident, you feel comfortable, say this. God, I need to be sleeker. I need to get rid of baggage. Lord, I give you access to my heart, to my soul, to demolish the things that stand in opposition of you. I give you access, Lord, to clean out my baggage, clean out my closet, get rid of the things that weigh me down. Lord, I want to be efficient. I want to be powerful. I want to do things for you. I want to grow the kingdom. I want to do it as your partner. Father, I don't want to carry this weight anymore. Help me to lay it down. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Church, I love you. God bless you guys. We're going to continue Sunday in our uh, Living an Empowered Life series. Uh, so we're, we're picking, you know, I thought about transitioning out, but the Lord just wouldn't let me. So we're going to continue in that series on Sunday. So we'll, we'll see you then. God bless you guys.